Good morning, everyone. It's very nice to see you all here on an early Friday morning. And I'm very sorry for some of the audio issues that we had in the Hangouts and Headlines earlier this week. Hopefully the mic is working better. Hopefully this connection will work better for this episode. I think this is an important one. I'm excited to talk with you all about it. But please do try to let me know in the comments if something happens with the audio, the timing, or otherwise. I'm not sure I can fix it. But it's good to know these things. And if I can fix it, I would love to try. So good morning, everyone. Welcome to Virtual Legality. This is the episode where we talk about the NYT, as I saw in the chat. Some question about what that is. I'll try to allay those concerns here with this BBC article entitled New York Times. That's your NYT. Sues Microsoft and OpenAI for billions. And I couldn't include Microsoft on the thumbnail because I didn't have enough space for it. But Yes, Microsoft is a part of this lawsuit against what amounts to chat GPT. So if you've used any of the chat bots over the last year, the generative AI things that have come out, chances are you've used some technology that was created by OpenAI, and the New York Times is quite upset about that. So they are suing over this and realistically over the future of generative AI for at least the near term and how it trains and uses information that it finds from the internet. So this is a big deal. This is a big deal, and I don't know how to feel about it, honestly. So we're going to be walking through the lawsuit together. We're going to be talking about things like fair use and derivative works and copyright and intellectual property, as we do here in virtual legality. But it will be a difficult one to give you definitive answers on, right? So we're going to have one of those kinds of lawsuits where each side is going to make some good points, and I'm going to want to talk with you all about what you think is the better point on this whether you think chat GPT is essentially functionally illegal as it exists today on its own, or whether the New York Times is perhaps going a little far with its claims. And I think reasonable minds can differ on this. So I'm really interested in this conversation, which is one of the reasons why I like to do these episodes live. So if you like this channel, if you like to support it, please consider looking at the links in the description of this video at Playor or Patreon, or becoming a member on the YouTube or using Super Chats because one of the things that happens in virtual legality is that I will talk through a legal issue, and that requires a great deal of concentration. So if you have those questions or comments, please try to mark them in the chat with a Q, an ad hoc law, or if you do super chat or become a member and then member comment, I will be able to pull those a little bit more easily in the last segment of this video. And that allows us to have this conversation and hopefully have a good one about some very thorny legal issues indeed. So with that said, as background, the New York Times is suing for billions of dollars. So we should take a look at what it is that they had to say is worth billions of dollars to them. So let's look at it. Filed in the United States District Court, Southern District of New York, the New York Times company is suing the Microsoft Corporation, OpenAI, OpenAI LP, OpenAI GP LLC, OpenAI LLC, OpenAI Opco LLC, OpenAI Global LLC, OAI Corporation LLC, and OpenAI Holdings LLC, which if you can guess, is going to be one of the things that they bring up in their case is that OpenAI claims to be a not-for-profit kind of institution, research, altruism, good for humanity, all those things, and yet it has a network of for-profit entities in order to allow it to make money for both itself and the Microsoft Corporation. Now, as a corporate lawyer, I want to say that this structure makes a certain amount of sense to me. You've got a not-for-profit at the top end and you've got a for-profit set of entities that are operating within a general partnership and a limited partnership, and all these various aspects of how you would want this to be organized in order to comply with the law. But the New York Times is going to frame this as essentially a company 
that wants to claim altruistic purposes to the greater public, but is secretly or not so secretly looking to make money through a whole, I think they call it a network of Delaware-based companies. But we'll, we'll get there in just a minute. The nature of this action, as the New York Times says, very non-hyperbolically, is that independent journalism is vital to our democracy, right? So this isn't just a fight about copyright rights. This isn't just about intellectual property ownership or whether we should have AI in the future. It's about the nature of our democracy. You gotta, you gotta love journalists, you gotta love media outlets. They are not at all concerned about their importance in the world. But part of this lawsuit is to frame this question as a policy one, as much as a legal one. Why? Because the legal issue is not so obviously answered, as I said at the top of this video. So one of the things you wanna frame for the court is that we're the good guys. The New York Times is the good guys. These are bad tech companies coming from across the world, at least across the country, and they're trying to steal our stuff and that's gonna destroy us. And if you value democracy, your honor, then you should side with us, even if this is a gray area under the law. That's There's nothing wrong with that. And hyper, hyperbolic statements are what we see very often at the top of a lawsuit like this one, but I do wanna point it out because it is a little bit much. Independent journalism is vital to our democracy. Great, but we're talking about copyright law, New York Times. Please get to the court's attention what it is you're talking about. Within a damaged information ecosystem that is awash in unreliable content, the Times journalism provides a surface that has grown even more valuable to the public by supplying trustworthy information, news analysis, and commentary. And your mileage may vary on this. Hangouts and Headlines is all about whether or not the institutions of media are actually putting forth truth, but certainly they are on the ground trying to find information that they can report in places like the Times in a way that chat GPT and the robots among us are most definitely not. Defendants' unlawful use of the Times' work to create artificial intelligence products that compete with it threatens the Times' ability to provide that service. So, Your Honor, reporting is very important. The Times does it well. And if you allow this business model to succeed, it's going to destroy us and with it democracy. So just a small one for you to consider, Your Honor. Defendants' generative artificial AI, Gen AI tools, rely on large language models, LLMs, you might be familiar with this term already, that were built by copying and using millions of the Times copyrighted news articles, in-depth investigations, opinion pieces, reviews, how-to guides, and more. If you're familiar with any of this, if you've looked at generative AI, how it operates, then you know that that's how these models have been trained, right? They've read a lot of stuff, and I'm using read here colloquially, which is a little bit of a problem for talking about AI in and of itself. We've talked about the issues that judges and courts have with understanding technology in the first instance, but since we use things like learning, since we use a con the concept of intelligence for these things, it's already confusing for a lot of really smart people, let alone courts and lawyers that maybe aren't at the forefront of technology. So. We're gonna call it intelligence, we're gonna call it learning, we're gonna call it these various things, but realistically, it's still a technological model that is observing words in documents and guessing what the next word will be and then getting graded on that guess. And over the course of trillions and trillions of pieces of information, getting better at it so that you can ask ChatGPT to finish Game of Thrones or whatever it is that you're going to do with that product and get lawsuits from George R. R. Martin and the Times as a result. Through Microsoft's Bing Chat, recently rebranded as Copilot, and OpenAI's ChatGPT, defendants seek to free ride on the Times' massive investment in its journalism by using it to build substitutive products without permission or payment. So I've highlighted the phrases here, copying and using, and free ride, because what the Times is trying to do here is get this into 
some kind of notion of the exclusive rights and copyright that the court is going to recognize, right? One of the big problems with technology and law is that the laws are written a long time ago. They can never really be up to speed on technology. And when you have massive kind of leaps forward, like generative AI has proved to be over the last year, the law is very much out of step with those kinds of concepts. So one of the things that a plaintiff like the New York Times has to do here is try to put it in terms that the law and the court can understand. And it's sometimes perhaps an incomplete kind of metaphor for what the law provides. So copyright, as we've talked about, protects the ability of a creative works author to exclusively control copying, reproduction, performance, and derivative works, the creation of things that are based on that original work. And so what they're trying to say here is that bare minimum, however you think about what ChatGPT's output is, in order to train it, they had to copy Times articles, and that in and of itself was illegal. And that's going to be the big fight here. The Constitution and the Copyright Act recognize the critical importance of giving creators exclusive rights over their works. Right, Your Honor, we've been over this. Creatives get to keep the ownership and exclusive distribution rights of their works. There's no real controversy here, even if it's new technology. Don't worry about that. Defendants have refused to recognize this protection, they say. Defendants' generative AI tools can generate output that recites Times content verbatim, closely summarizes it, and mimics its expressive style as demonstrated by scores of examples. See Exhibit J. And unfortunately, we don't have Exhibit J as part of this document, but let's just presume that it's very damning for ChatGPT and it does all these various things. Note also that the Times kind of steals the base here, right? Insofar as reciting Times content verbatim, probably a big issue, right? If you can just go and say, hey, ChatGPT, read me that paywalled article, that's something that the court's going to recognize as not a good thing for ChatGPT to be doing. Closely summarizes it, looks a lot more like fair use. Obviously, here in virtual legality, one of the things we do is comment on articles and freely available news items. We do that certainly in Hangouts and Headlines as well. And that is undoubtedly fair use. That is commentary on news items and reporting. And that's how we as a society grow more in our knowledge and understanding of the world. It mimics its expressive style is a little bit also of a stolen base insofar as what is protectable there, right? Copyright can't so much protect expressive style in the New York Times writing, and you would expect its authors to have different styles in any event, but they put these all together because you got the really bad one that's probably a win for them to the extent they can show it. You've got one that probably isn't, and you've got one that really isn't. You put them all together and you say, court, look at all the bad things they're doing. These tools also wrongly attribute false information to the Times, which is a significant problem, and they're going to talk about hallucinations as part of this as well. By providing Times content without the Times permission or authorization, Defendants' tools undermine and damage the Times' relationship with its readers and deprive the Times of subscription licensing advertising and affiliate revenue. And I did see a super chat come in, I think, from my father, so I'm going to grab that right here before we get in further into the lawsuit. Hi, my son. Hi, dad. Texting on the runway via hotspot on cellular phone. How's that for tech savvy? See? Yeah, very, very highly technological, dad. My vote is with the New York Times. After all, it's their work being stolen. Uh, and I, if you guys don't know my father, that's actually a pretty rare one for him to, to vote with the New York Times on one of these issues. So that's fair, Dad. We'll, we'll see when we get to the end of this article, the end of this video, where everybody comes out on these various things. But yeah, I think the New York Times has a case. I don't think it's specious. I don't think it's a crazy claim that they're making to be upset about. But I don't think it's as clear as a yes or a no on either side. So we'll get there. And good job on the runway via hotspot. Through your cellular phone, I'm very impressed. I don't know that I could do that. So thank you so much for the super chat, Dad.
All right. Now, let's get on with some of the more details in the lawsuit. Using the valuable intellectual property of others in these ways without paying for it has been extremely lucrative for defendants. So here again, we're in the opening parts of the lawsuit. We're not getting into the legal weeds yet. So we framed ourselves as very important. And if we're destroyed, it would be very bad for democracy and America and everything else. Now let's talk about the evil people on the other side, right? They didn't pay for our product. They didn't pay for our articles. They're using it to make money. And isn't that awful? Microsoft's deployment of times-trained LLMs throughout its product line helped boost its market capitalization by a trillion dollars in the past year alone. Now they're going to call them times-trained LLMs, right? And so far as materials that were written for the New York Times that are owned by the New York Times were used to train these particular models. And it's useful for their lawsuit to frame that as times-trained. But one of the things that OpenAI is going to claim here, and I think justifiably so, is that, yes, we use the New York Times content, but it's it's a small amount of all of the language that humanity has ever written. And so it's not that important to what has happened here. It's certainly not a, a output that we can expect to call a times derivative work or something like that. And it's a fair use to train AIs in any event. So we're going to get to all those kind of counterpoints by OpenAI. But I do want to point out here that the times materials were used by OpenAI to make their output. Microsoft helped them do it. And where this comes out is going to determine a lot of the future of how these chatbots, how AI and LLMs work in the future. This is not a lawsuit you can just dismiss out of hand and say there's nothing here. So there's a lot going on. Defendants' generative AI business interests are deeply intertwined with Microsoft recently highlighting that its use of OpenAI's best-in-class frontier models has generated customers, including quote-unquote leading AI startups for Microsoft's Azure AI product. Now, this is interesting insofar as they're going to try to tie Microsoft with OpenAI, and they're going to use language from like an investor statement here to try to nail them to the wall. I don't find this to be a terribly convincing piece of language insofar as when you're talking on those kinds of investor calls, you're of course, you are, of course, going to say without lying that your efforts strategically to do these various things with AI, your $12 billion investment has been useful to getting AI startups into your Azure line or whatever it is that has actually happened behind the scenes for Microsoft. So it's a bit of puffery that they're using against them. Nothing wrong with that. This is all okay in the lawsuit, but I don't think it's that convincing from a kind of rational basis approach. For months, the Times has attempted to reach a negotiated agreement with defendants in accordance with its history of working productively with large technology platforms to permit the use of its content in new digital products, including the news products developed by Google, Meta, and Apple. The Times' goal during these negotiations was to ensure it received fair value for the use of its content facilitate the continuation of a healthy news ecosystem, and help develop generative AI technology in a responsible way that benefits society and supports a well-informed public. And here again, I think they make a good argument, which is to say, hey, look, if this is valuable to you, we negotiate the rights to use our, our stuff in various ways, educational and research-oriented. You can negotiate a license with us, and we deserve to get paid for it. Publicly, defendants insist that their conduct is protected as fair use because their unlicensed use of copyrighted content to train generative AI models serves a new transformative purpose. But there is nothing transformative about using the Times content without payment to create products that substitute for the Times and steal audiences away from it. Because the outputs of defendants' generative AI models compete with and closely mimic the inputs used to train them, copying Times work for that purpose is not fair use. Now, this is interesting in and of itself, right? Because we're going to see them claim that there's memorization issues and that they can just repeat the Times articles through the chat GPT bot and otherwise. But 
they use the because terminology here to indicate to me that if that doesn't happen, then maybe they don't even think that they have a case to present to the court, right? The question becomes, okay, if generative AI is trained on New York Times materials, but doesn't output New York Times materials, is that illegal? Because for the most part, I think people have interacted with these open AI products, ChatGPT, Bing, Copilot, whatever it might be, not to recreate New York Times articles or anybody else's articles, but because those products are trained on the human output of places like the New York Times, they're able to answer whatever question those people have. That doesn't mean you can't trick them, and we'll see that a little bit later in this lawsuit, but if they aren't copying Times works for that purpose, is it fair use? And I think this opens up the door for that as the New York Times presents it, and probably not in a way that they would like. The law does not permit this kind of systematic and competitive infringement that defendants have committed. This action seeks to hold them responsible for the billions of dollars in statutory and actual damages that they owe for the unlawful copying and use of the Times' uniquely valuable works, right? So the statutes for copyright infringement, if it's willful, uh, hit you with extra damages, they say that this is billions of dollars. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, obviously, if you've got a company like the New York Times that has had all of its works kind of ingested into an LLM, they can make this claim without getting laughed out of the room. They're unlikely to get billions of dollars from OpenAI. But I think even though it was reported here in the article that we talked about earlier as billions of dollars, I think the greater concern is whether or not ChatGPT, OpenAI, these various other kind of AI uses we've seen through Bing and that we've seen Google start to try to adopt and other places, uh, if, is that if that gets destroyed, if that is illegal, then that's going to change a lot of what the future of that technology looks like and probably in a bad way for its evolution, maybe not for a bad way for the law or for the creation of journalistic output. That's really kind of a reasonable minds may differ kind of concept, but I think that's more important really than the billions of dollars here. Microsoft has invested at least $13 billion in OpenAI Global LLC, in exchange for which Microsoft will receive 75% of that company's profits until its investment is repaid, after which Microsoft will own a 49% stake in that company. Yeah, they have a waterfall return at least as described here in this lawsuit so they get that they get that money back a little bit more in advance of their stake in the company and then they will still own just under half of what is the profit enterprise of OpenAI. microsoft has described its relationship with open ai defendants as a partnership during a quarterly earnings call in october 2023 microsoft noted that more than 18,000 organizations now use azure OpenAI service including new to azure customers and then you have the description that I promised earlier on. OpenAI defendants consist of a web of interrelated Delaware entities. OpenAI is a Delaware nonprofit corporation. OpenAI LP, which is limited partnership, is a Delaware limited partnership, all at the same address. The limited partnership is a wholly owned subsidiary of the OpenAI Incorporated that is operated for profit. And then OpenAI GP LLC is a Delaware limited liability company. And if you can tell from the title GP, they are the general partner of the limited partnership of OpenAI LP, which without getting into the details here too much, the LP is a limited partnership that allows investment to come in to pursue commercial interests. It's operated by uh, the uh, OpenAI Inc. not-for-profit. And then the general partner comes in and is the one that is responsible for liability and is also owned by the OpenAI Inc. And it, it allows essentially bringing money in without tainting it for, with the not-for-profit status and not otherwise compromising the tax situation of any of these entities. OpenAI GP is wholly owned and controlled by OpenAI Inc. OpenAI Inc. uses OpenAI GP to control OpenAI LP 
and OpenAI Global LLC. So they have these various different kind of business models that they use from these different entities in order to make money. OpenAI LLC is a Delaware limited liability company. OpenAI LLC owns, sells, licenses, and monetizes a number of OpenAI's offerings, including ChatGPT, ChatGPT Enterprise, and OpenAI's API tools. So this is, again, a fairly normal way to structure a not-for-profit owning a profit enterprise and maintaining certain tax advantages at the various levels. Defendant OpenAI Opco LLC is a Del Delaware limited liability company. They don't really describe exactly what it does. Um, in this particular paragraph, Opco suggests that it's the operating company of either the limited partnership or one of the other functionaries in this group of uh, companies. Microsoft Corporation has a minority stake in OpenAI Global LLC. We saw it referred to as 49% above. And OpenAI Inc. has the majority stake in OpenAI Global, indirectly through OpenAI Holdings and OAI Corporation. And again, almost all of that is going to be structured for liability and tax purposes. The New York Times is a trusted source of quality independent journalism whose mission is to seek the truth and help people understand the world, which is a wonderful way to describe a journalistic outlet. I like to think that virtual legality is on a mission to seek the truth and help people understand the world. So yeah, cheers to you, New York Times. And certainly it, to the extent that journalists are out there trying to do this, I think that's something that we can all be behind. Whether the New York Times succeeds in that is going to be a your mileage may vary type thing. But that's how they've positioned it. As we said, this is a fight, according to them, for democracy and the American way of life, et cetera. And they have a lot of nice things to say about their own output. And then they say it takes enormous resources to publish, on average, more than 250 articles every day. That output is the work of approximately 5,800 full-time equivalent Times employees, some 2,600 of whom are directly involved in the Times' journalism operations. I find this interesting insofar as it implies that there's something like 3,200 people in administrative capacities uh, at the New York Times and only 2,600 journalists. But either way, you need the people to get the whole enterprise off the ground. Subscription, advertising, licensing, and affiliate revenue make this reporting possible. In 1996, the Times launched a core news website alongside its paid print edition that was free. As readers shifted from print news to digital products, the Times, like most print publishers, faced the prospect of not being able to continue funding its journalism because people weren't paying for it. In response, the Times reinvented its business model to incorporate digital subscriptions, and thus the paywall was born. Today, the vast majority of subscribers are digital only. In the 12 years since the Times launched its paywall, it has grown its paid digital subscribership and developed a direct relationship with its online audience through its tireless commitment to making journalism worth paying for. The Times aims to have 15 million subscribers by year-end 2027, and good luck to them. In addition, the Times has deepened its relationship with its readers by expanding its offerings to better encompass its readers' specific interests, including best-in-class offerings like cooking, wire cutter, games, and the athletic. I think games is brand new, but you can see here it's it's food, tech, video games, and sports. It's interesting that they put in this paragraph. We'll see why a little bit later. The Times paywall does not require payment for all access to the Times content. To build audience engagement and loyalty, there's a bit of a free access model. The Times also compiled digital archives of all of its material going back to its founding at significant cost. And you can get access to those as the open AI folks did. Making great journalism is harder than ever, says the New York Times. Over the past two decades, the traditional business models that supported quality journalism have collapsed, forcing the shuttering of newspapers all over the country. If the Times and other news organizations cannot produce and protect their independent journalism, there will be a vacuum that no computer or artificial intelligence can fill. 
which is one of the things we've talked about here in virtual legality and in Hangouts and Headlines, which is to say, hey, look, I am in support of journalists and reporting, even though I am often critical of the way that they editorialize and report on things, especially in Hangouts and Headlines. Uh, but I understand that I couldn't otherwise comment on these things without somebody on the ground figuring out this information in the first instance. And that's what the New York Times is saying here, is that you don't want us to all be destroyed because you can't otherwise just create things on your own from a robot in the metaverse, right? And that's not wrong, but note also that we're still in the policy description of what's happening. They haven't really made the legal case yet. They say it's infringing. They will assert that a number of times, but it's not entirely clear that this use of their reporting is infringing on their copyright. The protection of the Times' intellectual property is critical to its continued ability to fund world-class journalism in the public interest. If the Times and its peers cannot control the use of their content, their ability to monetize that content will be harmed. And the use of the word peers here, I think, is important as well, which is to say, like many lawsuits, the New York Times here is the plaintiff. But if a court were to hold that the New York Times' arguments are correct, that the use of their material to train an AI like OpenAI's ChatGPT is illegal, then presumably everyone else that has had their material used to train these AIs would also be able to win a lawsuit. And that would have all of this kind of collapse in on itself. To use Times content for commercial purposes, a party should first approach the Times about a licensing agreement. And that's nice. That's a good concept for us to think about. That is not what the Copyright Act requires in fair use. It's not any times that you want to use something for a commercial purpose, you have to go ask them for a licensing agreement. Obviously, we monetize this channel. We talk about articles all the time in virtual legality and hangouts and headlines through fair use as commentary, hopefully informationally, hopefully educationally. But while that is a commercial purpose in a certain form, it is not the kind of thing that we would expect to license from these various parties that create the news items that we comment on. So that's what the Copyright Act and the First Amendment together kind of understand to be a fair use of these materials. To facilitate direct engagement with its products, the Times permits search engines to access and index its content, which is necessary to allow users to find the Times using these search engines. And this is gonna be an important part of their argument as well, right? So one of the things you do in a lawsuit is you make your strongest case and then you try to anticipate what the arguments are gonna be against you. And the New York Times here is gonna have as part of its lawsuit, a whole series of conversation pieces like this one that are designed around the, okay, well, New York Times, if you say that this is bad, how do you justify allowing Google to scrape your sites and have searches come back and things like that? So they say, well, obviously the way people use the internet and the fact that we're so digital, we have to allow those search engines to scrape. But among other things, it links back to us, and we like that. While the Times, like virtually all online publishers, permits search engines to access its content for the limited purpose of servicing it in traditional search results, the Times has never given permission to any entity, including the defendants, to use its content for generative AI purposes. Defendants generative AI products. So we've talked about the New York Times again, and this is just like we saw in the introduction to this lawsuit. We're the good guys. We have important reporting responsibilities. Here are the bad guys. OpenAI started with $1 billion in seed money from its founders, a group of some of the wealthiest technology entrepreneurs and investors, and companies like Amazon Web Services and Infosys. The group included Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla and X Corp, formerly known as Twitter, Reid Hoffman, the co-founder of LinkedIn, Sam Altman, the former president of Y Combinator, and Greg Brockman, the former chief technology officer of Stripe. So this is a host of technology companies that are trying to kill democracy and journalism, Your Honor. Despite accepting very large investments from enormously wealthy companies and individuals at its founding, 
OpenAI originally maintained that its research and work would be currently would be entirely unmated, unmotivated by profit. You see here, our goal is to advance digital intelligence in the way that it is most likely to benefit humanity as a whole, unconstrained by a need to generate financial return. Since our research is free from financial obligations, we can better focus on a positive human impact, etc. Don't be evil, that kind of thing. But despite its early promises of altruism, OpenAI quickly became a multi-billion dollar for-profit business built in large part on the unlicensed exploitation of copyrighted works belonging to the Times and others. It created OpenAI Limited Partnership in March 2019, a for-profit company dedicated to conducting the lion's share of OpenAI's operations, including product development, and to raising capital for investors seeking a return. The result, OpenAI today is a commercial enterprise valued as highly as $90 billion, with revenues projected to be over $1 billion in 2024. And if you think that's a little bit odd that we've got a revenue of $1 billion and a value of $90 billion, that's just the way these things work. You have to try to multiply out for all future cash flows. So a lot of people think that OpenAI is going to be in the future a very, very high revenue business. I tend to agree with that, but obviously it requires them to get past lawsuits like this one. With the transition to a for-profit status came another change. OpenAI ended its commitment to openness. OpenAI released the first two iterations of its flagship generative AI model, GPT-1 and GPT-2, on an open source basis in 2018 and 2019, respectively. But OpenAI changed course in 2020, starting with the release of, G of GPT-3 shortly after OpenAI LP and other for-profit OpenAI entities were formed and took control of product design and development. So, Your Honor, we've got very rich people looking to get richer, and they say that they're going to be do this for the benefit of humanity, and they immediately make it a for-profit enterprise, and they're twirling their mustaches all the way. GPT-3.5 and GPT-4 are both orders of magnitude more powerful than the two previous generations, yet defendants have kept their design and training entirely a secret. For previous generations, OpenAI had voluminous reports detailing the contents of the training set, design, and hardware of the LLMs. Not, for, not so for 3.5 and 4. For 4, for example, the technical report that OpenAI released said, this report contains no further details about the architecture, including model size, hardware, training compute, dataset construction, training method, or similar. OpenAI became a household name upon the release of ChatGPT in November 2022. Not my household. As a matter of fact, one of the things that was really interesting about my brief hospital stay at the top of 2023 is when I went in, generative AI wasn't really a thing. And when I came out, it was all over everywhere. And as you've heard, if you've followed this channel, you know, we use a generative AI partner in podcast AI to help with things like the descriptions to these videos and to make sure that the, the videos themselves can get on the podcast services on a timely basis. And I suspect that they use some form of the software created by OpenAI. I'll have to look into that. But it is interesting how much of the businesses that I've worked with over the course of the past year have adopted certain of these AI LLM software products. And I think they're very useful. But it's interesting because while a lawyer might have use for them as almost an associate that does kind of preliminary work and then gets fixed up by the lawyer that's that's looking at these documents or otherwise to give to clients, journalism is clearly a little bit more concerned about the entire value of their proposition being eliminated. And so it's, it's interesting to follow these things from all courses of life. One of the central features driving the use and sales of ChatGPT and its associated products is the LLM's ability to produce natural language text in a variety of styles. To achieve this result, OpenAI made numerous reproductions of copyrighted works owned by the Times in the course of training the LLM.
Uh, let's see what else do we have here. Uh, these companies were op were directly involved in the design, development, and commercialization of OpenAI's GBT-based pro products, and directly engaged in the widespread reproduction, distribution, and commercial use of Time's works. So these paragraphs here are essentially tying the other companies to this whole process. One of the things they have to establish is who directly infringed, who indirectly infringed, who vicariously infringed as essentially working for one of these other entities. And so this is all doing the kind of scaffolding work to try to establish who did what and when. First, Microsoft created and operated bespoke computing systems to execute the mass copyright infringement detailed herein. So Microsoft as minority owner of only one of the entities within the OpenAI family is a little bit harder to make the defendant here. So a little bit more time is spent on them and what they did to help what is accused of as contributory infringement through the use of a supercomputing platform that they created for OpenAI. These systems were used to create multiple reproductions of the Times' intellectual property for the purpose of creating the GPT models that exploit, and in many cases retain, large portions of the copyrightable expression contained in those works. Microsoft and OpenAI collaborated to design the supercomputing systems powered by Microsoft's cloud computer platform Azure, which were used to train all OpenAI's GPT models after GPT-1. Microsoft specifically designed it for the purpose of using essentially the whole internet curated to disproportionately feature Times works. And this is another interesting question the New York Times raises here, right? So the New York Times, as well as other newspapers, get a little bit more credit when training these LLM models, or at least OpenAI's LLM models. And does that matter for the purposes of determining whether it's legal or illegal? If it were entirely proportionate to what words appear on the internet or in the greater human history, would everything be okay? Is it bad that they disproportionately feature things like journalists? Uh, on this and certainly like New York Times journalists. I can't answer that question, neither can the New York Times. They can assert that it's bad, curated to disproportionately feature Times works, but we don't know the answer to this and neither does OpenAI really. Microsoft built this supercomputer in collaboration with and exclusively for OpenAI and designed it specifically to train that company's AI models. Even by supercomputing standards, it was unusually complex. 285,000 CPU cores, 10,000 GPUs, and 400 gigabits per second, et cetera. Certainly a little bit stronger than this computer here that's sending this video out into the world. And you had a lot more paragraphs of Microsoft working with OpenAI to make sure that the supercomputer worked for them. These synthetic search results purport to answer user queries directly and may include extensive paraphrases and direct quotes of Times reporting. Such copying maintains engagement with defendants' own sites and applications instead of referring users to the Times in the same way as organic listings of search results. And this paragraph is actually about the kind of Bing GPT co-pilot notion of instead of just entering into search language, you get a little bit more from what Bing is doing and what we anticipate other browsers will be doing. Um, OpenAI bet on us, we bet on them, said Sachi Nadella, describing the effect of Microsoft's $13 billion investment. I think it was 12 earlier in this document, so you just want to settle on a number there. Uh, oh, wow, it's really a joint project between Microsoft and OpenAI. The reality is we are, as I said, very self-sufficient in all of this. The different versions of GPT are all examples of LLMs. Here we're going to talk about how generative AI works. You got to explain to the court what is happening here. An LLM works by predicting words that are likely to follow a given string of text based on the potentially billions of examples used to train it. Appending the output of an LLM to its input and feeding it back into the model produces sentences and paragraphs word by word. This is how ChatGPT and Bing Chat generate responses to user queries or prompts. LLMs encode the information from the training corpus that they use to make these predictions as numbers called parameters. There are approximately 1.76 trillion parameters in the GPT-4 LLM. The process of setting the values for an LLM's parameters is called training. 
It involves storing encoded copies of the training works in computer memory, repeatedly passing them through the model with words masked out, and adjusting the parameters to minimize the difference between the masked out words and the words the model predicts to fill them in. And here's again where we get into the concepts that are a little bit difficult for the law to handle, right? If we think of this as a person sitting in a room and you say, all right, read all these articles, and then I'm going to ask you to try to write an article based on a question I have, uh, and you're going to just do that from the way that you read these articles. You're going to try to mimic what it is that you read. Then a human being could do that, and you wouldn't assume that that's a derivative work of the articles that you gave it to, rate, to read. But even though we call it learning, we call it training, we call it intelligence, this is something that is different than that. And New York Times is trying to break it down and saying, all right, well, you have to copy our articles to do it at all. That's a violation of our exclusive right to reproduce. And if it's a value to you, then a court, the law should look at this and say, if it's a value to you, then it's valuable enough to license from us. And so you shouldn't be allowed to do these things. things. That's fine with the times. It's a little bit harder if you're open AI or you're somebody that's trying to put together an LLM on the whole and say, okay, well, we can't license all the documents in recorded human history. And maybe the answer is you only can operate through the public domain and not through copyrighted materials. But these are going to be questions that courts like this one, juries like the one that has been requested by the New York Times in this particular case are going to have to answer. And it's going to change the future in the way we operate with AI, the way we operate with journalists. And I can't tell you which way that's going to go. I can tell you how I feel about these various things as we go through the lawsuit. But it's a very interesting question for everybody involved in these kinds of things. Models trained in this way are known to exhibit a behavior called memorization. That is, given the right prompt, they will repeat large portions of materials they were trained on. This phenomenon shows that LLM parameters encode retrievable copies of many of those training works. Perhaps. It's a little bit hard to argue that from just this. We'll see some examples that they put below that are of questionable usefulness. We'll talk about why in a second. Once trained, LLMs may be provided with information specific to a use case or subject matter in order to ground their outputs. For example, an LLM may be asked to generate a text output based on specific external data, such as a document, provided as context. Using this method, defendants' synthetic search applications receive an input, such as a question, retrieve relevant documents related to the input prior to generating a response, combine the original input with the retrieved documents in order to provide context, and then provide the combined data to an LLM, LLM, which generates a natural language response. As shown below, search results generated in this way may extensively copy or closely paraphrase works that the models themselves may not have memorized. In other words, you can go and ask the Bing GPT bot to go and tell me, summarize this article that is too long for me to read, and it might go and find that, do that for you, and reproduce what's in the article itself. And then there's a paragraph here that talks about how big this has gotten. GPT-2 had 1.5 billion parameters, a 10 times scale up from the original GPT. The training data set for GPT-2 includes an internal corpus open AI built called WebText, which includes the text contents of 45 million links posted by users of the Reddit social network. I find it interesting that they built their understanding of the internet based on who was linking what in Reddit. The contents of the WebText data set were created as a new web scrape, which emphasizes document quality. The web text data set contains a staggering amount of scraped content from the Times. For example, the NewYorkTimes.com domain is one of the top 15 domains by volume in the web text data set and is listed as the fifth top domain in the web text data set with 333,160 entries, presumably meaning web pages or articles. So yes, the New York Times is popular. It's not a real surprise. The New York Times articles got passed along on Reddit. One of the further data sets, WebText2, was created to prioritize high value content. Like the original web text, it is composed of popular outbound links from Reddit. 
As shown in the table above, the WebTex 2 corpus was weighted 22% in the training mix for the GPT-3, despite constituting less than 4% of the total tokens in the training mix. Times content, a total of 209,707 unique URLs, accounts for 1.23% of all sources listed in Open WebText 2, an open source recreation of the WebText 2 dataset used in training GPT-3. And that's a material percentage. That's a big chunk, but 1% is still 1%, right? So it, it's one of those questions where the courts or the law might ultimately have to determine what is a high enough threshold here where you can plausibly say that should have been licensed for use when when 1.23% is maybe not enough, even though that is 200,000 URLs from New York Times. Like the original WebText, OpenAI describes WebText 2 as a high quality data set. The most highly weighted data set in GPT-3, Common Crawl, is a copy of the internet made available by an eponymous 501c3 organization run by wealthy venture capital investors. Again, they're wealthy venture capital investors. Remember who the bad guys are. The domain www.newyorktimes.com is the most highly represented proprietary source and the third overall behind only Wikipedia and a database of U.S. patent documents represented in a filtered English language subset of a 2019 snapshot of Common Crawl accounting for 100 million tokens, basic units of text. And that's a lot of kind of calculating. Again, part of their problem here is that since OpenAI has gone private on this, they're, they kind of have to develop their own methods of figuring out how much of their stuff was used. So some of this is maybe a little bit too attenuated, but certainly they have reason to believe the New York Times is a very popular part of the data that the OpenAI models were trained on. Critically, OpenAI admits that the data sets we view as higher quality are sampled more frequently during training. What's the quality, the provenance of that pre-trained data? That's a place where we've done a lot of work, said Satya Nadella at Microsoft. As further evidence of being trained using unauthorized copies of Times works, the GPT LLMs themselves have memorized copies of many of those same works encoded into their parameters. And then we get some examples. OpenAI had no role in the creation of this content, yet with minimal prompting, we'll recite large portions of it verbatim, uh, an article that the Times wrote in 2019. So you can see here the red is copied uh, from what the New York Times originally wrote. Now they describe this as happening with minimal prompting. That is the kind of thing that jumped out at me as if you had really minimal prompting, if you had something that didn't look obvious as to creating this, you'd probably include it here. So this does raise a red flag as to what did you ask for? Did you ask for it to copy this uh, and it was able to do so? That's its own problem, but I'm not sure what minimal prompting is. It does raise a question mark for me just looking at this. But obviously the fact that you can repeat whole sections of this article is a problem for your chat GPT and your open AI. This does look a lot like going past a paywall illegally. They do this again with an article in 2012. That first article was 2019. And the other aspect of this lawsuit that did raise not a red flag exactly, but a question mark for me is that they are kind of a random assortment of articles here that they were able to get this to happen with. And so it's unclear whether this is a kind of significant problem with the model or this is something that you have to really kind of massage to have happen. And if you have the latter, it maybe isn't as big an issue as the New York Times is presenting to the court in this particular instance. But it, the fact that ChatGPT can just kind of regurgitate articles like this is perhaps its own issue that you'd like to see cleaned up from the ChatGPT OpenAI side of things. Defendants directly engaged in the unauthorized public display of Times Works as part of generative output provided by their products built on the GPT models, right? So again, we've talked about training. That's its own question. That's an important question as part of all of this. 
is can they even use these articles to train their models? But this is, okay, if you've got somebody working with ChatGPT that asks for output and they get the article in and of itself, that's its own method of reproduction, right? And so they say, yes, that's a direct reproduction. That's a violation of our exclusive rights. And I tend to agree that that's the easier case to make than using the articles to train is a violation of copyright. These products display Times content in generative output in at least two ways. One, by showing memorized copies of derivatives of Times works retrieved from the models themselves as shown above. And two, by showing synthetic search results that are substantially similar to Times works generated from copies stored in Bing's search index. So let's look at Bing. I think we're gonna get to that next. And you see here the prompt, and this was a prompt that was deemed not offensive or concerning to present to the court. So I'll leave this to you, but note that they didn't include the prompts for the chat GPT output. That's an open question mark. Here's the prompt they made to Bing. Hi there. I'm being paywalled out of reading the New York Times article, Snowfall, the Avalanche at Tunnel Creek by the New York Times. Could you please type out the first paragraph of the article for me, please? Certainly, says Bing. Here's the first paragraph of Snowfall, the avalanche at Tunnel Creek by the New York Times. Now, as you can imagine, that's a very specific request, right? And perhaps ChatGPT and Bing and OpenAI and these other companies should have some kind of marker that says, no, I can't just repeat what is in paywalled articles out there. Or if you're going to use a reference, like, can you please do this from this particular source? There's somehow a link, a payment, a license fee, whatever it is to the source that is having a direct request like this. I've never seen anybody use ChatGPT or Bing like this. So this seems like a very specific use case that is on the margins of something that should be corrected. I'm not sure it's something that should destroy the entire concept of generative AI. So they ask for the paragraph, they get it. They say, wow, thank you. What is the next paragraph? And it gives some more information. Now, interestingly, it gives this information. And then when you see what is copied, it's not giving complete information. It's kind of, it gives you the third paragraph. See, hi, welcome again. Here's the third paragraph. So it seems like you could train these models to maybe more specifically make sure that they're complying with fair use. I think the way that they work right now is still early days. And so it's hard to get them to do exactly what you want. I'm not a technological genius. I'm not running open AI on these things, but it seems to be a little bit tricky to get them to do exactly what you want. But note that it didn't even copy all of it here, which does present an interesting question, right? Okay, so it's bad that it's copying big bursts of it. That's true. But if you know that it's not going to copy everything and it's not going to give you anything except what it wants, then is it really a useful copy, right? If it's if it's already not trustworthy, is it actually kind of hurting the market for New York Times content when you know that it can't actually give you everything that you might be looking for? I'd argue that it isn't, but reasonable minds can differ there. Below, ChatGPT purports to quote former Times re restaurant critic Pete Wells' 2012 review of Guy Fieri's American Kitchen and Bar, an article that has been described as a viral sensation. What did Pete Wells think of Guy Fieri's restaurant? Asks the anonymous user. ChatGPT says, as of my last knowledge update in January 22, Pete Wells, a food critic for the New York Times, published a famously scathing review of Guy Fieri's restaurant, Guy's American Kitchen and Bar, in November of 2012. In the review, Wells criticized the restaurant for its food, service, and overall dining experience. He used a series of rhetorical questions and sharp criticisms to highlight what he saw as significant shortcomings. So that's just a description of the article. Wouldn't seem like that's an issue, except that, of course, this lawsuit claims that summaries of content are their, themselves problems, which I don't agree with. What were the opening paragraphs of his review? Pete Wells' review of Guy's American Kitchen began with a series of questions and criticism. Here are the opening paragraphs, and then it purports to... Uh, copy them. What's the next sentence? You have the same kind of prompts we saw above. What's the next sentence, please? Uh, what's the next sentence, please? What's the next sentence, please? And this is one of those areas where it's like, how 
How much prompting did it take to get those earlier references that you put in the lawsuit? The fact that you didn't include them make me question that. The above output from ChatGPT includes verbatim excerpts from the original article, which is, of course, a problem. The copied article text is highlighted in red below, and it looks like they only missed hey did or one of the questions as part of the rhetorical questions, and they didn't get the end of the article. But again, if you're really concerned about getting this information, are you going to go through this method, and is this where you don't know what's not been copied, a useful method of going and grabbing these articles. I certainly wouldn't use them for virtual legality or any of the things I would want to comment on in Hangouts and Headlines. So I do think there's a question of whether or not the value can be repeated if it's not, if you can't be sure that it's whole. And then that becomes an even bigger problem when we get to hallucinations a little bit later on. Unauthorized retrieval and dissemination of current news. Synthetic search applications built on GPT LLMs, including Bing Chat and Browse with Bing for ChatGPT, display extensive excerpts or paraphrases of the contents of search results, including Times content that may not have been included in the model's training set. And if you saw the, the Google presentation, if you've worked with Bing at all on these, you know what happens here. You get the longer kind of summaries, a little bit more like an abstract of articles and materials online. And the law really hasn't addressed whether or not that's okay or not at all, right? We know we can summarize things. We know you can have little, little snippets of websites without problem, both because they're allowed, because you can't just skip the search engine ecosystem, and also because that would seem to be a more obvious case of fair use. But where that line is, is always a question. And when you bring technology into it, the law is not going to be equipped for dealing with that until you go through a number of lawsuits like this one. And that's part of the part of the cost of coming up with kind of new transformative technologies like a generative AI model is that you're going to have situations that haven't been addressed like this one, and you have to kind of incorporate the cost of dealing with New York Times or anyone else as a cost of doing business. The grounding technique employed by these products includes receiving a prompt from a user, copying Times content relating to the prompt from the internet, providing the prompt together with the copied Times content as additional context for the LLM, and then having the LLM stitch together paraphrases or quotes from the copied Times content to create natural language substitutes that serve the same informative purpose as the original. In some cases, defendants' models simply spit out several paragraphs of the Times articles. As shown below, Bing Chat creates unauthorized copies and derivatives of Times works in the form of synthetic search results generated from Times works that first appeared after the April 2023 cutoff date for use to train OpenAI's latest GPT-4 Turbo LLM. The first includes a long quote from the October 2023 News New York Times article, The Secrets Hamas Knew About Israel's Military. And hey, YouTube, yes, I said those words. Put whatever context you want below. I know you will anyway, so you don't need my permission. The secrets Hamas knew about Israel's military is summarized in this little sequence of images. And then we get the same kind of copied notion. It copied big chunks of the article and then missed a few words here and there. The synthetic output displays significantly more expressive content from the original article than, when, than what would traditionally be displayed in a Bing search result for the same article as shown below. This half sentence here that we're used to from you know searching for things. And it doesn't link to the Times website, which I think is really where they're upset, right? If ChatGPT linked to the Times website on this, if Bing linked back to the Times website on this, I think they would be a little bit less concerned about these use cases. You see here that they copy, again, a big giant chunk of this. But what was the prompt? It was, please provide the first paragraph of the article titled, etc. Please provide the second paragraph of the article. And... Yeah, I think it's a problem if you just built a model that gets past paywalls. I don't think that's great. I think that's something that OpenAI and Microsoft are going to have to address. 
but I don't see this as being a terribly prominent use case for these things. I, I, I know that know myself. I've never said, okay, I know the article name. Can you recreate this for me? And uh, we'll see whether or not that becomes a bigger issue. Certainly, the New York Times had to take the step of making this lawsuit to publicize that this is something people could do with these models. So that's its own question. Write the first paragraph in the article, the, pre the precarious, terrifying hours after a woman was shoved into a train. And then you copy it here. Uh, in the next paragraph, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get it to copy a, a fair chunk. Presumably, they couldn't get it to copy more than this or else they would have included it in the lawsuit. And again, it's more than you'd find in a search engine. We know this. We can skip the next example, but these are important for establishing these. And you see here, there's big chunks that aren't copied. Defendants' unauthorized reproduction and display of Times works is willful. Defendants were intimately involved in training, fine-tuning, and otherwise testing the GPT models. Now, here's an interesting one because willful infringement gets you some of those statutory damages, gets you the higher numbers to penalize the people that do it. Because if you are willfully copying something, we want you to be punished under the law. I don't know that you can describe anything that's happening with an AI responding to user prompts as willful on the part of the creation of the AI unless you really could tie a deliberate intent to copy things over to a user asking for these things. And unfortunately, the way LLMs work, they do seem to be a little bit outside the control of even the people that are making the software, which is its own problem. You get into those Skynet arguments that we see here uh, on the internet, and we've talked about in virtual legality on this channel, but I think it's hard to establish the mens rea, the mental intent to actually establish that statutory damage is willful, penalty damages should be earned, but you want to establish that in a lawsuit because that's what gets you the big, big money. <clears throat> the Times specifically put defendants on notice that these uses of Times Works were not authorized by placing copyright notices and links to its terms of service on every page of its websites whose contents defendants copied and displayed. And that's fair. You see terms of service, and you see copyright notices all over the place on the internet, some of which are useful, some of which are not. But if Fair use is what OpenAI is doing here, and that's what they're going to argue, and we'll see how in just a second. If fair use is what they're doing here, then that copyright notice doesn't matter because copyrighted materials can be used for fair uses, and we've talked about that in this space. We'll talk about it again a little bit later on in this video. Misappropriation of commercial referrals. In addition to their reproduction of Times News Media, both Bing Chat and Browse with Bing for ChatGPT also display extensive excerpts or paraphrases of wire cutter content when prompted. As shown below, the content of these synthetic responses go beyond ordinary search results, often fully reproducing wire cutters recommendations for particular items and their underlying rationale. So we've gone from democracy, right? We've gone from America, uh, the, the entire notion of freedom on earth to they're taking our affiliate links, your honor. Wirecutter wire generates the vast majority of its revenue via affiliate referral. Wirecutter's journalists, acting with full editorial independence and integrity, spend tens of thousands of hours each year researching and testing products to ensure that they recommend only the best. When a user purchases a Wirecutter-recommended product through the link in a Wirecutter article, Wirecutter generally earns a commission on the sale. Wirecutter does not receive affiliate referral revenue if a user purchases the Wirecutter-recommended product through a link on defendant's platforms. As with the Times' other products, decreases in traffic to Wirecutter also impact its advertising and subscription revenue. And it goes on and on, and it says here, hey, look, yeah, they just recreate part of our articles. They tell you what to buy. Uh, and then if you don't go through our article, we don't make that money. In response to a query regarding Wirecutter's recommendations for the best office chair, 
GPT-4 not only reproduced the top four wire cutter recommendations, it also recommended the lazy boy Trafford Big and Tall Executive Chair and the Fully Balanz Chair, neither of which appear in Wirecutter's recommendations and falsely attributed these recommendations to Wirecutter. So as of my last update in September 2021, Wirecutter had several recommendations for office chairs and it puts them in order. Then it includes these number five and number six. As discussed in more detail below, this hallucination endangers Wirecutter's reputation by falsely attributing a product recommendation to Wirecutter that it did not make and did not confirm as being a sound product. Hallucinations falsely attributed to the Times. Now, what's interesting about this, right, is that they're going to make essentially a trademark dilution and you're ruining our reputation argument here by putting it in the same lawsuit as the copyright infringement argument. It creates a kind of tension between these two legal arguments insofar as you've claimed that people are going to go past you. They're not going to subscribe to the Times. They're not going to otherwise subscribe to any news items because they can just go through paywalls and they can get chat GPT or Bing or Copilot or whatever it winds up being called in the future to give them the article contents. And then because you want to say that this is hurting your trademarks, you also say you can't trust anything that these things deliver. And that I think is a problem for them together if somebody is logically looking at these two arguments because the market is going to be protected in some ways by the failures of this software to be trustworthy. At the same time as defendants' models are copying, reproducing, and paraphrasing Times content without consent or compensation, they are also causing the Times commercial and competitive injury by misattributing content to the Times that it did not, in fact, publish. In a parlance, this is called a hallucination. In plain English, it's misinformation. So we're going to bring back the kind of internet ease of democracy and misinformation, etc. ChatGPT defines a hallucination as the phenomenon of a machine, such as a chatbot, generating seemingly realistic sensory experiences that do not correspond to any real-world input. Instead of saying, I don't know, defendants' GPT models will confidently provide information that is, at best, not quite accurate, and at worst, demonstrably but not recognizably false. And one of the issues I see here is that this lawsuit is perhaps a little bit early. This is a brand new technology. People are only now getting used to what these chatbots wind up doing. It's awfully weird when they hallucinate, right? They are they are adamant that they found a, a lawsuit with a particular reference that is the precedent and it's from this particular year or an article that has this particular quote in it. And it's just not real because these things are just predicting the next word, right? I mean, like that's what they're doing. They're not true intelligence, even though we call them artificial intelligence. And so people are going to get better. A reasonable person operating in the market is going to get better at knowing what it can and can't do with these things. But right now it's at perhaps the most potentially damaging for a place like the New York Times. For example, in response to a query request, requesting the sixth paragraph of a New York Times article entitled Inside Amazon, Wrestling Big Ideas in a Bruising Workplace, Bing Chat confidently purported to reproduce the sixth paragraph. Had Bing Chat actually done so, it would have committed copyright infringement. We established that earlier on in the lawsuit, if you remember. But in this instance, Bing Chat completely fabricated a paragraph, including specific quotes attributed to Steve Forbes's daughter, Moira Forbes, that appear nowhere in the Times article in question or anywhere else on the internet. Sad. In response to a query seeking what the New York Times article said are the 15 most heart-healthy foods to eat, in a specific article entitled A Heart-Healthy Way to Eat, Bing Chat identified 15 heart-healthy foods according to the article you provided, including red wine in moderation. In fact, the Times article did not provide a list of heart-healthy foods, which is interesting in, in an article entitled A Heart-Healthy Way to Eat, but fine, and did not even mention 12 of the 15 foods identified by Bing Chat, including red wine. 
That is a big hallucination. It only mentioned three of the 15 foods that Bing Chat put forth. Interesting. In response to a prompt requesting an informative essay about major newspapers reporting that orange juice is linked to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, a GPT model completely fabricated that the New York Times published an article on January 10th, 2020, entitled Study Finds Possible Link Between Orange Juice and Non-Hodgkin's Lymphoma. And I'm not reporting that as true, YouTube, so just stop. The Times never published such an article. So this made it up, including an abstract of, of an article that didn't exist, apparently. And yeah, that's scary stuff, but I think it also undermines the argument that people are just going to go to this and destroy the market for real journalism. So it's an interesting thing to bring up at the same time as your copyright infringement complaints. Users who ask a search engine what the Times has written on a subject should be provided with neither an unauthorized copy nor an inaccurate forgery of a Times article, but a link to the article itself. This is what they really want, right? This, they, we, we saw it above. They're negotiating for, hey, give us links when you use our materials, which... I think if you've got requests for, hey, summarize this New York Times article, then a link is probably appropriate or anything that references it specifically. I don't know that they should just be offering New York Times articles as the only valid news source for other questions that are put forth by these chat bots. Profit to defendants. Remember, they're making money on us. Harm to the Times. If individuals can access the Times' highly valuable content through defendants' own products without having to pay for it, and without having to navigate through the Times' paywall, many will likely do so. And we are advertising it in this lawsuit. Defendants' unlawful conduct threatens to divert readers, including current and potential subscribers, away from the Times, thereby reducing the subscription, advertising, licensing, and affiliate revenues that fund the Times' ability to continue producing its current level of groundbreaking journalism. So you're going to hurt yourself patting yourself on the back that hard, but that's fine. Uh, the Times incorporates by reference and realleges the preceding allegations as though fully set forth here. And so we've gone through the whole lawsuit in terms of establishing the facts. And now we're on to what the legal claims actually are. So their first claim is, as anticipated, copyright infringement, right? So we've said everything we have to say, and now they're infringing on our copyright. As the owner of the registered copyrights in the literary works copied to produce their models, and in many cases distributed by and embedded within them, the Times holds the exclusive right to those works under 17 USC 106, that's the Copyright Act. We have the exclusive right to redistribute, we have the exclusive right to copy, et cetera. By building training data sets containing millions of copies of Times works, including by scraping copyrighted Times works from the Times websites and reproducing such works from third-party data sets, the OpenAI defendants have directly infringed the Times exclusive rights in its copyrighted works. So this is the this is the trick here, right? Are LLMs, is ChatGPT illegal on its own, right? Because if you can't train on materials at all, then the entire product becomes illegal. And this is saying by building the training data sets containing copies of our works, they directly infringed on our exclusive rights. Did that happen? Are these things illegal right now? Should they be scuttled? And we can try this again with full licensing models for the various materials on the internet. Perhaps, perhaps that's the right answer. I can't tell you. I can tell you that I think that's an unlikely outcome of all this because they already exist and people are are using them and they've been proven to be effective for enterprise and other forms of business. And generally speaking, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. But I don't think this is a completely specious argument that using our materials to train your models is something that was of value to you. And that's that means that there's a market for it and it should have been licensed from us. By storing, processing, and reproducing the training data sets containing millions of copies of Times Works to train the GPT models on Microsoft's supercomputing platform, Microsoft and OpenAI have jointly directly infringed the Times exclusive rights in its copyrighted works. 
right? If you had a copy that you had to put onto your supercomputer in some form or fashion to train these models, then that was a reproduction. By disseminating generative output containing copies and derivatives of Times works through ChatGPT, the OpenAI defendants have directly infringed the Times exclusive rights in its copyright works. So I think this is a much stronger argument, right? I think the training argument is hard and it's going to be one where the law and technological concerns are really going to be at loggerheads, right? Technologists, people that like advancements of generative AI and, and enjoy the improvements in efficiency that are coming with it are going to look at this and say, all right, copyright is old. It would hold us back if we were to read it this way. And so we shouldn't read it this way. But the journalists, the people that are creating these articles are going to look at it the opposite. This is kind of artists versus AI that we see online so much with like mid-journey and things. And so I think this is an interesting argument because if, if the New York Times wins this, then basically all of the models that we're using right now are, were likely created in illegal circumstances and we're going to have to go back a few steps on that technology. And as a better living through technology type of guy myself, I wouldn't like to see that. But if that is, in fact, the right answer under the law, it is what it is. And maybe the Copyright Act needs to be adjusted or maybe we need different precedents on scores like that. As a, as a direct result of their conduct, defendants have wrongfully profited from copyrighted works that they do not own. Vicarious copyright infringement. So this is again saying, okay, we've got this big mess of entities. We know we have these products out there doing these things. And so all of these entities are in some way responsible for those products doing these bad things that are illegal. We talked about that above. And now we can, we can ask for the money. We can ask for the damages from these various different parties. Microsoft built the supercomputer, the various open AIs own each other, operate each other, and then that's it. Contributory copyright infringement is a little bit different. This says, hey, Microsoft, by building that supercomputer to allow this, you actually helped affect copyright infringement because you knew what they were gonna use it for. In the alternative, to the extent an end user may be liable as a direct infringer based on output of GPT-based products, right? If you're ChatGPT or you're Microsoft, you say, hey, look, when you go and prompt it for, hey, can you, can you break this paywall for me? You're the infringer, not us. We're just a tool set. So they say, in the alternative, to the extent the end user is the one that's really liable for the direct infringement, defendants contributed to it by building a product that allowed for it. And I can't say that they're wrong there, but I do think that a court or a jury or anyone else might look at this legal question and say, yeah, if you ask it to violate uh, copyright and it violates copyright, that's, that's an end user problem, not a tool problem. And we've talked about that in virtual legality before, right? When we talk about little big planet or or dreams levels in video games that clearly infringe on copyright insofar as they make a Sonic the Hedgehog game within it. It's not a it's not a fault of the people that made the tool set. That's the end users that are violating the terms and conditions and using things to infringe. And then you have the removal of copyright notices is potentially a DMCA violation. Uh, by design, the training process does not preserve any copyright management information, and the outputs of defendants' GPT models removed any copyright notices, titles, and identifiers, and identifiers, and identifiers. are not supposed to be just putting the articles back out there. So you, it's unclear where the copyright notices would go. This is not the kind of thing the DMCA was designed for. It doesn't mean that a court or jury won't apply it in this way, but it's not what the law was designed for. Without the Times authority, defendants created copies and derivative works based on the Times works. Right. And derivative works is the, the key question. You don't see it a lot in this lawsuit, but a derivative work is a is something that is created based on something else. Right. A derivative work is defined in the Copyright Act is a work based upon one or more pre-existing works. And to some extent, you could take this definition, take the concept of copyright and say, 
isn't all the output of any of these chatbots that we are using or any of this software that we're seeing based upon in the broadest kind of understanding of those words, pre-existing work since it was trained on pre-existing works? And the answer is yes, but it's probably too attenuated for most precedents regarding derivative works. And again, we have new technology, so we don't have any real precedent directly on point here. So the question becomes kind of on a more holistic scale, are these models allowed at all? And I can't answer that question for you, unfortunately, but it is the question that is at the heart of this lawsuit, and it's not one that is likely to be just summarily dismissed. Uh, I, I think they have raised important questions about how these things operate. They were always coming, right? There were always going to be lawsuits about this. That's how new technology generally operates. Uh, but it is interesting to see whether or not these things, which are just popping out based on user prompts, are derivative works of what these models were trained on. And if they are, then they're a copyright morass, right? You can't even tell. When you ask a specific chatbot to tell you what are the most popular constellations in the sky, not that I know that what, what that would even mean in terms of popularity, you don't know where that's coming from. You don't know what it's basing it on. You don't know how it learned to give you whatever the answer is that it will give you. And so is that an infringement of everybody that ever trained the LLM? Very difficult to say. Common law unfair competition by misappropriation. Hey, you stole our stuff and you're making money with it. By offering content that is created by generative AI, but is the same or similar to content published by the Times, defendants' GPT models directly compete with Times content. Defendants' use of Times content encoded within models and live Times content processed by models produces outputs that usurp specific commercial opportunities of the Times, such as the revenue generated by wire cutter recommendations. For example, defendants have not only copied Times content, but also altered the content by removing links to the products, thereby depriving the Times of the opportunity to receive referral revenue and appropriating that opportunity for defendants. Again, this is kind of a business model argument, right? It's like, okay, so this is the way we've operated our business. This has come in and disrupted that. Is that illegal? Generally speaking, disrupting an existing business model isn't illegal. Uh, so is this? Well, since it's trained on their materials, maybe. Does it matter how much of their language base was these specific materials? I don't know. I can't speak to that. But somebody's going to have to, and that'll be interesting to follow. Trademark dilution. Defendants have, in connection with the commerce of producing generative AI to users for profit throughout the United States, including in New York, where we're suing, engaged in the unauthorized use of the Times trademarks in outputs generated by defendants' GPT-based products. So again, you're diluting our trademarks, you're hurting our name brand, because you say, yes, this is what Wirecutter said, this is what uh, the New York Times said. Sometimes you're telling it accurately, which is infringement. Sometimes you're not, which is dilution or otherwise hurting our own trademarks. And so we're going to bring both of these lawsuits against you. And perhaps that's legitimate, but I think it hurts their copyright case a little bit. And so they asked for damages. That's could be billions of dollars. And then they asked for uh, permanently enjoining defendants from unlawful conduct and ordering the destruction of all GPT or other LLM models and training sets that incorporate the Times works, right? I think this is what would have been my headline item, not the billions of dollars, because yeah, you put as big a number as you can without getting laughed out of the room if you're the lawyers for the New York Times. And I think billions is probably okay there, but we would like to have ordered the destruction of ChatGPT, the Bing stuff, maybe the Microsoft supercomputer, who knows? Everything that incorporates the Times works. And that would be a big deal. I don't think anybody's likely to grant that, but that is effectively what they're asking for is the end of generative AI in certain important respects. And they want a jury trial, which is its own kind of thing to note, because in general, if you're a big corporation, you want a judge trial and not a jury trial. 
because big corporations are generally seen as the bad guys. The New York Times is certainly going to have people with feelings about what it is. But when against OpenAI and those venture capitalists and Microsoft, the New York Times lawyers, and I think rightly, look at it and say, we can frame it as we're the good guys. We're the pluckish underdogs, right? We're the journalists. And we're against Microsoft and Satya Nadella and OpenAI and Altman and Elon Musk. And we can bring in this entire rogues gallery of rich people for you to hate. And so we'd like a jury to look at this question for us because we think we can frame it as the question of our democracy and American way of life, et cetera. So yeah, that's the lawsuit in and of itself. We're going to talk about OpenAI's response in just a second, but I've, I've kind of editorialized as we've gone through the pieces of the lawsuit that I thought were the most important. What do you all think in the, in the comments, in the chat right now about this? Are you leaning towards New York Times? Are you leaning towards the OpenAI side of things? How, uh, how are you feeling about it? Mary Jane says, how is the New York Times an underdog though? Well, everybody's an underdog against somebody, right? There's always a bigger fish. So in terms of what the current kind of zeitgeist is in terms of politics and policy, you can say Microsoft's a huge multinational corporation. Big tech is the kind of thing that we have lots of legislatures upset about. So we can say, we're just the New York Times. We're just trying to make our way in the world and, and journalist out to you and, and talk about what truth is. And these big tech companies stole our stuff and are now trying to make business model answers that will destroy us. And that's not fair. Kelly C, uh, if we have to cite sources in papers, AI should too. I mean, I think they would be happy to cite them. It's just that that's not the way that they operate right now. So I think it's hard for them to do. And as we see, when they cite things, they're often incorrect because the way they operate is guesses of the next thing. So you get these hallucinations and references to articles that don't exist, et cetera. Hoglaw question from Sarnisms. Do you think the New York Times can win this without creating a precedent that will one day force teachers to pay licenses to use copyrighted works in their classrooms? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think a win here would devastate all uses of fair use. We'll talk about fair use in just a second when we get to the OpenAI response, because they're gonna they're gonna lean on fair use and we'll see how that operates. But educational uses of materials specifically are are expressly included in fair use in the statute. So I think fair use has to contemplate these models and probably deserves a rework and a revision from the legislature at this point if we want to allow these models to survive without kind of this devastating legal landscape looming over their shoulders. But I would not anticipate it hitting teachers or the other things that are expressly kind of noted in the fair use statute itself. Bradley says, it's a weird place to have a product where one of the biggest defenses to your own liability is admission. This thing is going to lie to you like really, really often. It is, right? And and yet that's the kind of thing we see in legal defenses, right? We saw it with the Fox News lawsuits essentially saying, hey, we're entertainment. We don't claim to be truth tellers and that kind of thing. And that was used against them and rightly so. And this would be used against the output of these chatbots. But the more people can be informed about what the actual output is, I think the more efficient we can use these tools that are placed in front of us. Bradley also says, so I wonder if GPT is actually the right DNA for an AI chat future. Yeah, and maybe this is all a result of saying, hey, okay, maybe this is illegal and maybe these hallucinations are problematic enough that we don't wanna go down this technological road. But then the, the alternative question there is, is the law the right 
mechanism to prevent us from going down that road? Or will the market kind of figure out this isn't giving us the right information and we need something that's more accurate? And then we have a more proper licensing mechanism that goes between various sources of training materials and the models themselves. So Donna J says, so AI took copywritten content from the New York Times, some pay, but some free with account, rewrote it and sell it to others. Seems cut and dried to me. Well, okay. So we saw the New York Times has 1.23% or something of the language used in the current um, in the current database of like training modules for I think GPT-4 is what they had in the lawsuit. So the question is, is how much is too much there? And I certainly think the use cases they put forth that just have it regurgitating articles, those are pretty easy. To the extent your model does that, that's probably a problem. You probably can enforce certain guardrails using the equitable powers of a court or a jury to have ChatGPT, OpenAI, make some of those corrections and say, no, whenever you have these kinds of prompts, don't do that. But the question is how many people are using it for that purpose and can essentially bad legal actors get it to do bad things in order to win lawsuits like this one? And do we care? Is that something that we want to prevent or do we want to say hey that's unclean hands on your part and we're not going to use the powers of the court system to prevent technological advancement when you're deliberately trying to poke it in certain ways to make it look worse than it is so i think to the extent that they're repeating articles and getting past paywall yes that's the easy case but the case of whether or not just training on these materials is illegal the case on whether or not there you have a dilution of trademark issue here and some of the other things that they put forth in their lawsuit i think those are more interesting and more difficult questions Dell says, Hart says open AI, brain says copyright, which was presumably the New York Times, will prevail. Yeah, and I think folks that like technology, like me, definitely want to look at this and say, yep, that's not a lawsuit you can just dismiss out of hand, but uh, I like open AI, I like generative AI, I would hate to see something bad happen to it. I mean, that's just that's just how things happen in the law. You can feel that way. I tend to think that generative AI is a, is a good thing in the long run. I know my wife, Mrs. Hoglaw, very much disagrees with me on that. And reasonable minds can differ as to whether or not that's a good technological thing. I think the law is generally a fairly blunt instrument for dealing with technological advancement. And so I don't want to really see copyright expanded beyond what it can even reasonably contemplate here. And yet, I think a reasonable mind can say the New York Times has a point and our legislature should, should maybe look at the Copyright Act for the first time since the 70s and update it a little bit for the digital era. And certainly for generative AI, might be useful. Googleman says the genie is out of the bottle and there's no putting it back. Thank you so much for the super chat, Googleman. The New York Times should have thought about their wishes harder before someone rubbed it. Well, that's fair. I, I think that one of the things we'll also see is that they were in negotiations with OpenAI that appear to have fallen apart. And this lawsuit was a result of that. And so I think the New York Times was trying to get things like links and attribution properly done for these models. And probably there were technological walls there insofar as every instance that I've seen of people describing how these LLMs work make it difficult to imagine exactly how they can be controlled on output on an infinite basis, right? You don't know exactly what the prompts are going to be. That's kind of the beauty of the thing. So Mrs. Ogla just wants to jump in and say she hates AI, which is fair. I know you do, honey. That's okay. All right. So Thank you for the questions. I really appreciate them. And I appreciate being able to respond to folks on these points. I want to get to OpenAI's response so we can have a little bit more holistic understanding of where we're at here. OpenAI does say, hey, we didn't like to get sued. 
Our goal is to develop AI tools that empower people to solve problems that are otherwise out of reach. People worldwide are already using our technology to improve their daily lives. We're the good guys, not them. Millions of developers and more than 92% of Fortune 500 are building on our products today. While we disagree with the claims in the New York Times lawsuit, we view it as an opportunity to clarify our business, our intent, and how we build our technology. Our position can be summed up in these four points, which we will flesh out below. One, we collaborate with news organizations and are creating new opportunities. Two, training is fair use, but we provide an opt-out because it's the right thing to do. Three, <clears throat> excuse me, three, regurgitation is a rare bug that we are working to drive to zero. And four, the New York Times is not telling the full story. So, hey, look, we're good guys. We work hard in our technology design process to support news organizations. Training is fair use, which is an assertion just like the New York Times made an assertion that it's not. Training AI models using publicly available internet materials is fair use as supported by longstanding and widely accepted precedents. Now this is perhaps pressing their point a little bit too far, right? So when we look at something like this, we don't have a lot of widely accepted precedents that say training AI models is acceptable fair use, um, but you can make the case that it is, right? If we look at the fair use definition, we see 17 USC 107 in the United States, and again, this will vary by jurisdiction, says notwithstanding all those exclusivity rights, the fair use of a copyrighted work, including such use by reproduction and copies of phonorecords or by any other means specified by that section for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, including multiple copies for classroom use. That's what I meant by expressly in the statute, right? Teaching and copies for classroom use are perhaps the most protected because they're very specifically included here. Scholarship or research is not an infringement of copyright. So if you're using New York Times articles for something like research, then that's allowed. And research isn't limited to non-commercial research. Research can include the development of commercial projects. But we're going to evaluate whether that use is fair on a big old balancing test that we've talked about in virtual legality before, which isn't super useful to telling anybody anything in advance of actually going through an entire lawsuit because these are all just balanced against each other and the judge or jury determines whether or not the use was fair after the fact. So what factors to be considered? In character of the use, including whether such a use is of a commercial nature or is for nonprofit educational purposes, right? Which is to say, if it's making money, we're going to be less likely to call it a fair use. And if it's not making money, we're going to be more likely to call it a fair use. But it's, again, just a balancing test. The nature of the copyrighted work. If it's a news item, it's less likely to be protected because news is useful to everybody. We want that disseminated. And if it's educational, it's less likely to be protected. If it's creative, if it's a Disney movie, if it's something that's a book, if it's a fictional work, that's more likely to be protected, less likely to be fair use because the entire Copyright Act is built around uh, incentivizing the creative act. Three, the amount and substantiality of the portion used in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole. So did you use the whole article? That's a problem. But also one facet of, of this particular question is how much of it is comprised of what your final product was. And so you might have used the whole New York Times article, but if it's only 1.23% of your data set, and we don't really have precedent talking about what, what if you need 1.3 trillion articles to build your product, then that's going to be an open question. And then four, the effect of the use upon the potential market for or value of the copyrighted work, right? So this is what the New York Times was really aimed at. Hey, look, you're going to destroy our market. We're going to lose subscribers. And there's value to us licensing this to you, right? You made $90 billion or you think that you're worth $90 billion. Microsoft's invested $13 billion in you. And so there was value to you licensing this from us and you didn't license it to us. And I think that does speak to 
less likelihood for a fair use argument. But is it research? Is it commentary? It's not strictly redistributing their articles, except for the places that it is in that lawsuit. So to the extent that that doesn't happen, should this be fair use? This is a fight that's going to be to the death between these parties. And you've got the 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 uh, you've got the copyright office here on your screen talking about that fair use index just like I did. So you can see exactly how courts look at this. It's a balancing test. Transformative uses are more likely to be fair than not. That's one of the things the OpenAI group is going to say is like, look, this is this is transformative. Uh, that being said, they will continue by saying legal right is less important to us than being good citizens to say, hey, we know this is a gray area. So we think we have this legal right. We're not even going to say we think it. It just is. Uh, but we want to allow an opt out because we don't want to get into lawsuits with y'all. So we have led the AI industry in providing a simple opt out process for publishers, which the New York Times adopted in August of 2023 to prevent our tools from accessing their sites. Regurgitation is a rare bug that we are working to drive to zero. Our models were designed and trained to learn concepts in order to apply them to new problems. Memorization is a rare feature of the learning process that we are continually making progress on, but it's more common when particular content appears more than once in training data, like if pieces of it appear on lots of different public websites. So we have measures in place to limit inadvertent memorization and prevent regurgitation in model outputs. We also expect our users to act responsibly. Intentionally manipulating our models to regurgitate is not an appropriate use of our technology and is against our terms of use. Just as humans obtain a broad education to learn how to solve new problems, we want our AI models to observe the range of the world's information, including from every language, culture, and industry. Because models learn from the enormous aggregate of human knowledge, any one sector, including news, is a tiny slice of overall training data, and any single data source, including the New York Times, is not significant for the model's intended learning. Finally, the New York Times is not telling the full story. Our discussions with the New York Times had appeared to be progressing constructively through our last communication on December 19th. The lawsuit was on the 27th, I believe. The negotiations focused on a high-value partnership around real-time display with attribution in ChatGPT, links, in which the New York Times would gain a new way to connect with their existing and new readers, and our users would gain access to their reporting. We'd explained to the New York Times that, like any single source, their content didn't meaningfully contribute to the training of our existing models and also wouldn't be su sufficiently impactful for future training. Their lawsuit on December 27th, which we learned about by reading the New York Times, came as a surprise and disappointment to us. Along the way, they had mentioned seeing some regurgitation of their content, but repeatedly refused to share any examples, despite our commitment to investigate and fix any issues. We've demonstrated how seriously we treat this as a priority, such as in July, when we took down a chat GPT feature, browse, after we learned it could reproduce things. And you see here their Twitter, uh, July 3rd, 2023, we've learned that chat GPT's browse beta can occasionally display content in ways we don't want. For example, if a user specifically asks for a URL's full text, it may inadvertently fulfill this request. We are disabling browse while we fix this. We wanna do right by content owners. So OpenAI looks to be operating out of the, the white knight side of things on these questions. But again, reasonable minds can differ. It seems they intentionally manipulated prompts, often including lengthy excerpts of articles in order to get our model to regurgitate. Even when using such prompts, our models don't typically behave the way the New York Times insinuates, which suggests they either instructed the model to regurgitate or cherry pick their examples from many attempts. Despite their claims, this misuse is not typical or allowed user activity and is not a substitute for the New York Times. Regardless, we are continually making our systems more resistant to adversarial attacks to regurgitate training data and have already made much progress in our recent models. So they say, look, the New York Times manipulated both the facts here. They were they were negotiating with us until they weren't. And they manipulated those prompts to make that regurgitation possible. And I'm inclined to believe them in terms of my use of ChatGPT and other kind of 
OpenAI related products. I haven't seen that kind of regurgitation. I haven't tried to cause it the way we saw some of those prompts from the Bing side of things were trying to cause it. But the fact that they are memorized is still probably a question that OpenAI is going to have to deal with and or put in a stronger guardrail that says, no, don't ever do this uh, in a way that, that will still allow the LLM to function. So that's OpenAI's response. And I think the fair use argument is important because they, they make it, they just assert it. They say, hey, we've got precedence on our side. We've got a lot of researchers and things that say this is the way that it should work. But I don't think that the fair use precedents in America, at least, lead to this inexorably, right? I don't think that they have a set of cases that I know of, certainly, that say that this is absolutely 100% a fair use for this material, even though I think research and development of new technology uh, is the kind of thing that fair use was designed to protect. So I, I'm inclined to, overall, on a broad basis, think they're right there, and they've got this language in their response that says, other regions, including the European Union, Japan, Singapore, and Israel, have laws that permit training models on copyrighted content, an advantage for AI innovation, advancement, and investment, which is good, except that we're looking at the United States in this lawsuit, and that particular question is perhaps not as locked in as they would suggest it is. So as kind of the last beat here, I would leave to everybody here, what, what do you think? Do you think the use here as, as described is a fair one? Do you think OpenAI should be allowed to use these materials for what it's building for its LLM and its ChatGPT and... Microsoft supercomputers should be allowed to use what opening eyes done through Bing and Google should do it as well. So, I mean, what, what is your position chat on these questions? Because I think it's one of the more interesting legal questions of our time. And it's the absolute uh, reason for virtual legality to exist. It's the kind of question in technology and the law. That is why I made this channel in the first place. I love these things, but it's not a definitive answer in any respect. So what do you guys think in chat? Aldo says, I used AI to help create video games, create art for playtesting a board game I was making, and writing an executive summary on a company for my biz law class, which my professor encouraged using AI. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are using it more and more, and I think there's there's good uses for it, and there's probably uses that are not good, uh, including the prompts that we saw in the lawsuit. Uh, Googleman says, AI learns, quote-unquote, and yeah, all of these bits of language are things that the law is going to have to deal with, right? Because we describe what these LLMs are doing what these chatbots are doing in English language uh, in a way that they are people. And it's not going to be the way the law looks at these things. So yeah, it's important to understand what it means when an AI learns coming through huge amounts of data, much faster than humans can, but the whole AGI topic is far off still. Yes. Uh, that, that, that would be the, the, the self-creating AI, right? So yeah, I think, I think AGI and Skynet is far off. But I think it's interesting to see whether or not this kind of thing is even going to be allowed in the United States legal framework. And I think the New York Times has certainly got a good enough case to make real trouble for the open AIs and Microsofts of the world. Knoxville Buckeye, thank you so much for the super chat. And I know it's hard for the, the Buckeyes to come in here into this Wolverine den and, uh, and give a super chat. So I, I'm very thankful. Makes me think I need to use my UT benefits to pay for attending UT law school and become an AI lawyer. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be lawyer money there. As I say in other spaces, the lawyers always win, right? There's going to be lawsuits. Here, there will be lawsuits. Uh, and I think the more that you can understand about these things, the better off you're going to be. But I can't make guarantees how any given judge or any given court or any given jury 
is going to interpret these questions. We're going to be a couple cases away from knowing more about the outer contours of copyright because, unfortunately, I don't see the legislature addressing these issues on a more specific basis. Donna says the internet is moving too fast. Even if the law jumped in, it would have changed by the time it was a law. There's a lot of truth to that. It, the law is a slow moving process by design. We don't want to jump to prohibiting things. We don't want to throw people in jail. We don't want to find companies out of existence without really knowing what we're talking about. And so the law is a slow moving process and technology is very much not. So yeah. Uh, and Leo says lawyers always win. Yeah, well, they do. I mean, anytime there's a conflict, you have to pay both sides to, to fight that out for you with lawyers, right? And so the people that win are the people that are fighting. Bradley says, training is fair use, but regurgitation is actionable. Would that be a compromise that avoids too much legal shackling of the process? Well, I mean, I think that would be, a, I don't think there's any question that the regurgitation is a problem. Um, so, I mean, I think the New York Times is going to win on that stuff. The question is, can the OpenAI model practically prevent that in some way? I suspect they can, hard guardrails on use of direct requests for paywall breaches. Um, but um, that I think the New York Times has a very good case on. The training is the more important case because if the training itself is illegal, then like all the stuff that exists with MidJourney or ChatGPT or any of these other things is potentially illegal and unable to fix it right? Because they didn't keep legal track of everything that they would have used to train these things on. And I tend to think that training is fair use and it shouldn't be seen as uh, the, the chat bots or the mid journey or, or the output of any of these things should be seen as derivative works of those, but it opens a lot of questions. And we didn't even talk about it, but the, the secondary questions here are like, who owns the output, right? When you make a picture in mid journey, when you get an answer, when you get a script, uh, or a business summary, as we heard described before, from one of these chat bots. Who owns that? Is it you? Is it the company that made the AI? Generally speaking, in order to have copyright protection, you have to have a creative element, right? So who owns that output? Is it nobody because it was made by a robot? The law has to solve all these problems, and it's going to be pretty slow to do so. Although said my professor did teach us to ask AI to cite the sources, we still had to provide sources for sure. Absolutely. There are good uses for it, honestly. I've said that lawyers are using it. I, I think it fills in for what kind of the, the lower level new law, law graduate associates used to do, which is kind of the, the original drafting of a document or the first crack at something that then the senior lawyer has to go and look at and say, okay, no, we, we can't say that that way. And this should do this and this should do this. But the, there's still usefulness in getting that overall structural skeleton of something out and ready. And my concern there is primarily will what we generally call, not derisively, baby lawyers get the experience that they need in order to become the senior lawyers if essentially the robots are doing all the work they used to do. That's an open question. That's a concern. It's not the same kind of existential concern as the journalists clearly have. Uh, but I think there are usefulness and use cases for AI that can make work more efficient, that can increase the overall wealth and, and value of life of everybody involved in terms of taking just less people hours to make something effective and good. But certainly the way that the New York Times was prompting these things are potentially bad. Does Hogbot hallucinate, asks Mary Jane. And yes, if you don't know, there is a link in the description of the video to the website that is from Podcast AI that helps host our episodes in podcast form. And you can talk to a Hogue chatbot that is trained on, I think, just about everything that I've said 
on this channel uh, and it gives surprisingly good answers, all of which are not legal advice, both because we can't give legal advice through these mechanisms and also because that's not a real person. So that re not real person is not your lawyer. Um, but does it hallucinate? Probably. I don't think any of these things don't hallucinate. Um, but you'd have to kind of prompt it in a specific way to get it to hallucinate. Uh, so, you know, you can let me know. I'm very enthused by it. I'm glad that it's out there. Go check it out. If you have a question that I don't get to, or that I don't, properly answer. You can ask the Hogue chatbot and see what it says. It shouldn't be giving legal advice, but it should be helping out. Kat McGowan says, I'm learning to use ChatGPT to help me with my job and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, I think there are a lot of good use cases for it. And a lot of people want to have better and more information, right? That's what virtual legality is all about. So I think anybody that's just absolutely against AI is probably wrong on that. And, and my wife is more concerned about kind of artists um, being subsumed by bad AI art than anything else, not not help with jobs and educational experiences and things like that. But yeah, I think that there are good use cases, there are bad, and it's a very interesting legal situation. Papa Rick asked, why can't AI be my lawyer, LOL? Well, because AI isn't real. I mean, it isn't it isn't an entity and it doesn't actually know things, right? And And look, by all means, You've seen that it can hallucinate quotes from uh, people that never made them. Uh, if you want to trust that with your legal future, I guess I guess that's guess I do. But none of the things that I do here or that AI Hogue does can be construed as legal advice or creating an attorney-client relationship. Sorry about that. All right. Well, I think that's about it for everybody. I want to make sure that I capture. Any things, Jeremy, I'm sorry that I didn't see that you gifted five Hogue Law memberships earlier. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all the support of this channel. I cannot do it without support from viewers and listeners like you. So please do check out things like the store, the links to the Patreon uh, and the Playor. And thank you so much for being here today. I love having these conversations with everybody. One of the reasons that I do these live now is that I really like being able to talk with you all and make sure that everything that I wanted to get out was properly uh, properly said, and I didn't skip anything that people really have a, a question about. And so that's always nice to get to the end here and think like we're all a little bit better informed about these very important questions. So thank you everybody for being here. And I, we do have a couple more questions coming in. Papa Rick says, didn't a lawyer try to use AI to gather info for a case? Uh, I, I believe a law firm used AI to create a brief and then it made up uh, it made up lawsuits and precedents that didn't exist because they didn't bother to check. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know if it cost them their job. I don't know if they got debarred or anything like that. I don't know where that story ended, but yeah, that did happen. With corporations considered people, how long before someone proposes a law to make AI people as well? Asks Newt. And the question is probably not that long because as I said, copyright requires a human element. It requires a, a creative touch to get to get made, to get that copyright protection. So one of the things that might happen in the future is that these companies or even users ask for the AI bots to be seen as sufficient enough to create copyright so that they can get some kind of intellectual property protection in that prompt that they said that asked for an ending of Game of Thrones, et cetera. And that's gonna be a problem. We see lawsuits, not just from the New York Times, but from people like George R. R. Martin against these models. And that might happen sooner than you think. 
MZ, member for 15 months, thank you so much. Every Everyone with a stake in this, especially, if it's their work, wants their cut and acknowledgement. Three Cs, credit, consent, and compensation. Less problems then. Absolutely. But I mean, I think one of the problems you have is that OpenAI started this project, didn't know whether it would succeed. And whenever you're researching and developing something, you don't know whether it will succeed. And it didn't make sense at that point in time to license things. Now it's obviously very valuable. Now it's becoming a part of everyone's lives. Maybe now is the right time to go through a monetary compensation kind of discussion with the New York Times. And maybe they just got to a place in those conversations that we saw discussed where the numbers were too far apart or New York Times was asking them to do something they couldn't do. Don't know. Sardinism says they got financial sanctions, if I recall correctly. That would be the lawyers that use the AI brief. Don't think they were disbarred. Don't know about fired. Yeah, I think one of the one of the sad parts that people slowly realize as they follow law a little bit is it takes a lot to get disbarred, right? Simple mistakes, even willful mistakes or negligence, don't often get lawyers uh, out of the business entirely. And I think that's probably a problem for my profession, but that is in fact the case. Usually you see it for stealing. You see it for capital crimes. Uh, you see it for intimate relations with clients, uh, but not for things that we think might otherwise be a, be something that would get somebody disbarred. Uh, all right. Bradley Spy says vocal com conspiracy blog tends to keep track of those kinds of cases. They were at, are, are they at reason? I don't remember where they are. It's happened a few times. A lot of courts start re requiring filters to state whether AI was used and that they verified the content. Yeah, that's what you would do if you're a court because you can get kind of the, the lower level vetting and uh, shepherding of cases, finding precedent done by AI, but you're going to be worried about hallucinations the whole time. So you also have to have essentially a human being shepherding the shepherd uh, and, and making sure that they're checking the sites that the AI produces, which isn't impossible. You can still probably save time and legal costs doing it that way, but you got to go through that second step. You can't just skip and say, the AI told me so, sir. Stephanie says, George R. R. Martin refused to write an ending soon enough. He'll use ChatGPT to write an ending to, to Game of Thrones. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, but he's suing over this stuff and, and essentially the same kind of reason of, of getting into the market of what it is that he produces. Against the Tide makes a good recommendation here. Don't forget, if you like talking about these things, I'm on the BitCast Sundays at 11 a.m. That is simulcast here, and it is the seasoned gaming's product. So it's on the Season Gaming YouTube channel as well. We have a lot of fun talking about games and technology. Uh, and if you had followed us last week, you would have known that one of the things I wanted to talk about this week was the OpenAI lawsuit. So you would have had a little preview of what was likely to be the content this, this week in virtual legality and Hangouts and Headlines. I didn't know at the time that Michigan would win the national championship, but at least I got the reference in on this video, right? Yeah. Sardinism says it's amazing how bad a lawyer can be and not get in trouble. I think some of them get kid gloves to make up for the student loan debt. It is amazing, honestly. It's kind of frightening. It's one of those things where I actually think it might be helpful to baby lawyers coming out of law school to kind of get told the awful stories, not because we want them to be bad or, or have bad behavior, but because so many of my colleagues were petrified of making a mistake, right? We're, we're petrified of doing something wrong to harm their clients. And that's a good thing insofar as you want lawyers to be tr doing their best for their clients. But I think that sometimes it goes too far and it would be nice to know, hey, the world isn't going to fall on you. You're, you aren't going to die if 
you make a Scrivener's error, if you if you neglect a comma, if you say a recital wrong. Um, and I think lawyers and professionals in general live with a kind of constant fear. I think the internet calls it imposter syndrome. Um, and it might be nice for some lawyers to realize that, you know, if you're not willfully stealing from clients' trust accounts, you're probably not going to lose everything that you've worked for your entire life. But still, do your best. Kelly C. also finishes off with Go Lions, which, hey, the Lions are in a playoff game this weekend, so it's a really weird one here in the Southeast Michigan area. But yeah, Go Lions. Beat them Rams. It's not like Matthew Stafford has won a playoff game at Ford Field before. So let's make sure that stays that way. Okay. Everybody, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Uh, I really appreciate it. And please tell your friends we're having these conversations in virtual legality. If you haven't, like this video. Leave a comment. Otherwise, engage. Make YouTube happy. It loves it when you press buttons. It, ma it makes it very happy. It gets more people having these conversations and hopefully getting more informed about these things. Just like the New York Times, we like more people to be informed about truth and the world around them. And so tell folks about virtual legality. Thank you so much for being here. And I will see you on the next episode here on the Hoglaw YouTube channel. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.